Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 100 Straight Podcast. Today, I'm once again joined by Nick Kingry as a co-host, and today we're going to be talking to Mr. Jim Tyner. Jim, how are you doing today? I am doing just fine, Jacket. I'm glad to be talking with you and uh, Nick, and look forward to having a, a good conversation and hopefully extend some information out there that people can find useful. Yeah, well, we're excited to talk to you. I mean, the shot curtain's a you know, a pretty well-known thing now from the Cardinal Center. And uh, just to kind of get us started off here, what really gave you the idea to make a shot curtain for trap shooting? Well, kind of the necessity is the mother of invention. And uh, uh, I started shooting trap uh, back in 2005. And one of the clubs out here in California, the uh, largest club in Southern California, Redland Shooting Park, uh, was a park I uh, shot at quite a bit and got to be good friends with the owner, Terry Bilby. And uh, about 2011, he got uh, a letter from the Environmental Protection Agency that basically said he had to cease and desist shooting lead into the what is called the Santa Ana River bottom, uh, which is basically a dry wash about 90% of the year. Uh, this thing is a mile wide where uh, where the club is located and the club is right along the levee. It was built back in the sixties by Winchester, uh, who, who built a lot of clubs, uh, back in that time frame. Uh, and they've been putting lead over there for, you know, since, uh, for, for 60 years. Uh, but they had recently built a dam way upstream in the mountains and in taking some of the land for the lake out of protected habitat, uh, they actually exchanged property way downstream right next to Redlands and put that into an endangered species habitat um, that uh, contained a, a supposedly rare rat, a desert rat, and also a small flowering plant. Uh, and so they were putting lead into a designated endangered species habitat. And it couldn't get much worse than that. He called me up because he was familiar with uh, my background, which is fairly buried and uh, said I got this problem what should I do and and so we talked about it and I talked to the guy from the EPA and I had heard of shot curtains I didn't really didn't invent them uh, there are some uh, folks back in Massachusetts that had put up a couple uh, as a test uh, a few years before and at that time there was a company a, a large textile manufacturing company that was making the material uh, for those. Uh, and so I suggested to Terry that perhaps if we could convince the EPA that a shot curtain would prevent lead from going off into the endangered species habitat, that we might be able to work out a deal with them. Well, make a real long story short, after about a year and a half uh, and putting up a 150 foot long test section and dealing with 14 different governmental agencies, uh, we had the Army Corps of Engineers, we had the EPA, we had the California Department of Fish and Game, California Department of Endangered Species, uh, the uh, United States uh, Fish and Game, uh, everybody from the city of Redlands and San Bernardino County Fire Department. Uh, we did a couple of uh, field trips out uh, and showed them the uh, test section that we put up and, and they said, hey, okay, if you'll do put that up, uh, uh, we'll be happy. And the guy from the EPA took the lead on that. 
I called the company to buy more material and they said, we're not going to make it anymore. Uh, it's just too small of a market for us and it's too much trouble. Uh, but the guy said, if you want to make it, uh, the company that actually makes it for us is a knitting company in Rhode Island. I'll put you in touch with them and, and maybe they'll knit some special material for you. I got in touch with them. They agreed to do that. Uh, we improved the formula uh, for the material, uh, for the fabric. Um, and as they were making the Redlands order, which was uh, for a 1,200-foot long shot curtain, uh, I got another couple of calls from uh, the guy at the textile company. He said, hey, these guys that we have these uh, shot curtains up already need some replacement material. Do you want to make it for them as well? And I said, well, sure, we can just add to the run, I guess. And I talked to them, and one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, uh, Shot Stop was formed. And uh, we've been uh, the sole manufacturer of ballistic material for uh, shotgun ranges uh, ever since. And uh, now we have over 50 clubs uh, in North America, uh, United States and Canada, down in Australia, and we just uh, get an order in from a gun club in Hong Kong uh, for the material. So that's how we got into it, uh, by necessity, and it just kind of uh, has continued to be a necessity for a lot of clubs. What exactly is the shot curtain made out of? What kind it of material, is, sorry? It is a polyester thread. Uh, it's called, it's a high tensile uh with a 440 denier a denier is a strength measurement in uh thread or yarns uh and 440 is a a medium strong uh type of uh thread um if the thread is too thick you can't knit it tight enough to keep the shot from going through it's knit like a sweater whereas a sheet bed sheet is actually woven and you can weave a lot tighter than you can knit, but knitting is a lot softer. As you know, a sweater's soft compared to, to a hard woven fabric, and that helps absorb the impact. So it's, it's a high, denier, high tensile strength, uh, 440 denier polyester thread that is then knit into a special pattern uh, designed to uh, be more energy absorbing and still be tight enough uh, to keep the shot from going through. Uh, it is then sent to a dye house uh, in New York State, upstate New York, where it is heat set so that it lays flat. Uh, we treat it with resins, special resins, uh, uh, triple treating it to actually bind the fibers in the thread itself uh, to make them hard and, and uh, uh, impact resistant. It also gives a bit of a sheen or a kind of an oily feel to the material that helps in surface abrasion when, when the shot hits the curtain on an angle. Uh, and then, of course, it's also dyed a standard gray color. Uh, and that's how it's made. Uh, that material is then sent uh, to our sewing contractor, who's in Ohio, uh, Miller uh, uh, Custom Canvas, uh, uh, close to the Cardinal Center. And uh, there they make it into... Uh, what are basically tarps we call them panels but it has a each panel has a reinforced hem that goes all the way around it uh, with a grommet every 12 inches uh, the material comes out 100 inches wide 
Uh, when they folded over, we had end up with a net 96 inch wide or eight foot wide uh, panel. And we usually make those in 50 foot lengths, though we also make them in some uh, custom lengths uh, as well to fit whatever the rigging is that a particular club has put up for their shot curve. What kind of extremes do you go through to like make sure that it's weather tested and stuff? The fabric company that uh, we work with, the knitting company we worked with, uh, and know a lot about textiles. They're a very high tech uh, knitting company. Uh, they make primarily medical fabrics, uh, very special medical fabrics for like burn victims and surgery type fabrics. Uh, and that's why they've been able to survive in the textile world here in the United States because as you could probably guess, 99% of all textiles are, are made overseas now. Uh, but they make a very high-tech uh, uh, fabric. That's why they can make uh, our very high-tech uh, fabric uh, as well. And so they know what type of uh, UV treatment to put on the material. We have some panels at Redlands that were put up in 2012 uh that are still up they're on the uh, bottom and on the ends where they really don't get hit very much with pellets uh, they're there for just the uh the extra safety buffer and so those those panels have been up for you know 10 years now and uh haven't had to be replaced so they're this is a very very tough material um you can barely cut it with a pair of, of scissors unless you have really good scissors uh you can uh, cut it with a razor knife, but not for long, because the razor knife will get dull. Uh, so it's a it's a very special uh, special type of material that we've been able to develop to withstand the number of pattern impacts. At Redlands, we know we have panels that get oh, well over seven hundred thousand pattern impacts before they have to be replaced. And that's the that means that they're getting hit by something north of 400 million pellets before they need replacing. Well, Jim, kind of going back to what you said earlier, you said the first shot curtain at Redlands was around 150 feet. How many traps will 150 feet of shot curtain really cover? Well, that was just the te test section, uh, really, for the uh, uh, for getting the, the curtain approved there. Uh, for a single trap, you're looking at right at about 150, 160, 170 feet, um, for a single trap, depending upon how far away from the shooting line you, they put it, whether it's 80, 90, or 100 yards. Uh, but if you have a true trap field, because the second trap basically uses half of the first field trap. A true trap field only takes about 225 feet. Now, is that per trap? Uh, well, no, that would be uh, basically every trap that you add on is about another, only adds another 75 uh, to 100 feet of a material well, uh, of, of shot curtain. Because each trap uses, each trap uses basically half of the previous trap's uh, curtain. So, in effect, <laughs> The uh, you could say if you had a three trap field, the the trap in the middle is using the left hand traps curtain and the right hand traps curtain. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, you know, Cardinal Center will be one of your larger projects. 
And have you really ever installed a shot curtain on a single trap field? Or is it more common on your larger ones? Oh, no, we have quite a few clubs with uh, single uh, single traps uh, that have a curtain up. Um, the Cardinal Center uh, is the you know, second largest facility in the country after Sparta. Um, we made 22, over 22,000 lineal feet of panels for the Cardinal Center, uh, about uh, four and a half miles of eight foot wide panels. So if you can think about a, a nearby uh, highway or whatever that has uh, four miles between the a couple of off ramps, uh, basically the Cardinal Center used enough eight foot wide panels uh, to run a, a, a ribbon of uh, shot curtain uh, four and a half miles down that highway. Uh, but uh, a lot of single clubs use it. Uh, it is a relatively expensive investment uh, for a club, you know, regardless of the size. But what I tell clubs is this. You're basically buying your club for whatever the shot curtain is is costing you compared to the fact uh, if you've got a problem with a government official or a, a neighboring landowner and they're able to shut your club down, you don't have a club anymore. So if you have to spend uh, $20,000 or $30,000 uh, putting in a shot curtain to save your two-trap club, that's basically you're buying your club for that. And, and of course, uh, not only are the current members then benefiting from that, but uh, they're passing on that whole legacy of that club to future members down the road as well. And so I don't run shot stop as my sole business. Uh, it's um, a hobby business. You might say I don't uh, mark up the material. It's very expensive to make. I don't mark it up like I would if I was running a regular business. Uh, but it allows uh, us to help clubs stay open and, well, consequently, we have dozens of clubs that are, are open now that wouldn't be open if they hadn't been able to put up a shot curtain. So it's very gratifying to know that every week thousands of shooters are shooting at clubs that wouldn't be there without that shot curtain. Yeah, well, you mentioned that it's a, you know, it could be a costly investment for some clubs, but I'm here looking at your website and look, looks like, you know, the lead reclamation would be so much easier have you seen a lot of clubs be able to kind of balance out that initial starting cost with some of their lead reclamation? Most of the clubs that uh, have put it in uh, that are pretty active clubs uh, basically pay for the curtain out of the lead uh, reclamation. Um, by example, Redlands collects about 12,000 pounds of lead a month. Uh, and so consequently, not only have they paid for their installation several times over over the last 10 years, but uh, have been able to pay the maintenance for replacement panels and that thing, you know, that type of thing as well. If you do the math on it, it's basically the lead is like adding about a dollar per round to the cost uh, that you'd otherwise have to charge for your round. So instead of getting $5 a round, let's say uh, the club is actually realizing about $6 a round 
when they factor in the red lead uh, electrification that they get. So, yeah, the lead is a good profit center. I know the original projections at the Cardinal Center were that the lead reclamation there would pay for that whole installation in about a three and a half to five year time period. Um, I think the first season they had the curtain up, they actually collected about 125,000 pounds of lead off of the road that they paved in front of their shot curtain. Have you ever uh, been included in the process of actually setting up the shot curtain? And if you have, how big of a process is it to set up and everything? Well, yeah, I was very much involved in, in the Redlands project. And I've been out on site for on a couple of other our, uh, of our projects as well. Um, it's actually Tinker Toys tell you the truth uh most of them uh if you're dealing with flat ground it's just a matter of sticking telephone poles in the ground and uh, putting guy wires in and rigging cables from pole to pole um and then hanging the hanging the, the panels on the cables uh the installations are typically done by a local utility pole contractor Uh, And I work with them uh, to make sure that they know exactly the process that they need to do. Uh, All of the hardware that is used in putting these up is off-the-shelf utility pole hardware that they use every day in their their standard business. Uh, There are some uh, some techniques that uh, how that hardware is used that we found to be more efficient for putting up the shot curtain and that type of thing. And they follow those, but, um, really they're, they're quite easy to put up, uh, with the proper equipment, of course. Well, going back to, you're talking about the lead reclamation being the supplier of the shot curtains. Do you have your own lead reclamation service or do you kind of leave that up to the clubs or, or what well, are they exactly doing? Uh, they, uh, well, on, on one end, you have uh, the Cardinal Center. They actually paved a road in front of the curtain. The, lead, the fellas hit the curtain, fall down the road, and they sweep it up with a big mechanical brush uh, on a loader. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a full-on uh, professional-type uh, operation. Um, stepping down from that, uh, clubs will put uh, ground tarps uh, made out of geotech material. That's the same material that is generally put down underneath asphalt. Uh, it's a pretty tough material, relatively inexpensive. Um, and they literally just sweep it up or, or use a leaf blower uh, to blow the, the lead uh, into piles and shovel it into buckets. Um, there are other clubs that um, just let the shot hit the dirt and then they have a standard uh, lead reclamation company come in uh, and sift through that dirt uh, every year or where, when, however long uh, and pull the lead out that way. Um, so those are, those are kind of the, the methods that are used. Of course, the recovery rate uh, at the Cardinal Center is very high. Uh, because the lead is falling on the hard surface where it can be easily be reclaimed. Uh, the recovery rate on the tarps is, is pretty good as well. I mean, we're, we're talking over 90%, 95% on, on the tarps. Um, 
I don't know what they're getting out of the dirt, uh, but it's uh, got to be a pretty high percentage compared to what they're mining out in the in an open field. Because again, you're talking about mining a 20 foot wide strip uh, of dirt as opposed to <laughs> a couple of acres. What is the general uh, life expectancy of a shot, the shot curtain, like the tarp itself? It, it really depends on how much it's shot, Nick. Uh, as I said earlier, uh, we know at Redlands we get over 700,000 pattern impacts. Uh, that means that people can shoot over 700,000 targets uh, at our shot curtain uh, before they need to replace a panel. Uh, the panels are typically 50 feet long and 8 feet wide and they are attached lengthwise along the horizontal cables that run from pole to pole, um, but they are attached end-to-end, grommet-to-grommet, um, to make a running bond. So when a panel gets worn out, it's just uh, the, the hog rings that hold it in place are clipped, uh, the old panel is taken out, and the new panel is, is put in. Um, so it's a pretty easy process to re- to put in a replacement panel that way, but a, a lot of our lo- smaller clubs, uh, my goodness, uh, I imagine that they will get uh, fifteen years out of out of their panels because they just don't shoot it that much. I've kind of hit on this already, but like, how about like with the weather and everything? Which does it impact it at all as far as life expectancy goes, or? Um... Is there a certain well, weather situation that would be better for it than others, or is it better, or is it doesn't really matter? We have uh, curtains installed up in New Hampshire, uh, Minnesota, uh, northern Michigan, you know, where they get a ton of snow. Uh, we have them uh, uh, installed uh, in the Central Valley of, of California and, and down at Redlands in Southern California, where they're probably getting uh, you know, 300 325 days of sunshine a year and 100 degree plus temperatures uh, regularly um, doesn't seem to impact them. The thing that uh, the the biggest danger to a shot curtain is wind. And uh, it's important that the installation uh, poles are properly guy wired uh, to take that wind load. And if they are the curtains can survive 70 to 100 mile per hour gusts without damage to the material. Um, so really, I can't say that we can see, are we ever seen any difference in uh, survivability of the fabric, uh, regardless of the weather condition? This stuff is really tough stuff. I know you talked about how it was kind of woven tightly and stuff, but how, how, well does it do in the wind like how much wind does it let pass through and everything uh it's pretty dense Uh, you can actually see through it at a distance it's kind of odd if you hold it up uh right in front of your face you 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 wouldn't think you could see through it but at a distance you actually can um but the um uh, in calculating the wind load it's basically uh uh, it's 100 percent wind retention so you're saying it doesn't pass through it at all? Uh, not uh, you could breathe through it, but you, <laughs> but you, you certainly would be. Uh, but the wind doesn't go through it enough to, uh, shall we say, dissipate any significant amount of wind energy uh, through pass through. 
Yeah, I would say it'd have to be pretty thick and stable for all that shot to hit it and not go through it. Uh, that's the key when you're knitting something. Um, it's uh, they count the size of the holes per inch. Uh, when you're weaving something, they count the number of threads per inch. So you might have seen an ad for a a bed sheet that has uh, 600 threads per inch type of thing, which is a very finely uh, finely uh, woven fabric. Uh, with knitting, we're looking at about uh, needing to stay above 16 to 18 holes per inch. If you think about a sweater and you hold it up, you can see the holes uh, where the how, how it's knitted. Um, and to keep those those holes small enough uh, to keep uh, shot from going through. Well, this is kind of a little off topic from talking about how the shot curtain is affected in weather. But I've seen, you know, pictures from when they had the Olympics in Tokyo, and it looked to me like they were using shot curtains out there, but they were green. And obviously, the shot curtains like you've used are black. So my question is, have you ever kind of experimented with a different color of shot curtain, or have you ever thought about that, or what's kind of your thoughts on that? Uh, we do special orders for Australia in green. Um our first order from Australia uh, came back in about 2016, 2017, right in there. Uh, it was for a club in Brisbane where they were going to hold the Commonwealth Games. Uh, the Commonwealth Games are uh, sports games like the Olympics, except it's limited to the, I think, 30 or so odd countries that were or still are uh, members of the British Commonwealth, like Canada. Uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa, those countries. Um, and we dyed the material green for those because that's how they ordered them. It was a large order, and uh, we dyed them that color. The We found that the gray works very well. Uh, orange targets show up on it very well. Uh, green targets uh, show up on it very well. Um and quite honestly, when you're shooting, you really don't notice the curtain because the target stands out so much. Uh, it, it makes a very consistent background. In fact, that was uh, one of the huge benefits that the Cardinal Center saw in putting up the curtain because with as many traps as they have and a mile-long trap line, uh, the background varied a lot. And uh, you always get trap shooters, uh, and, and Nick knows this, uh, helping run the Kentucky trap shoot. Uh, trap shooters like a good background. And if they think uh, one bank has a better background than another bank, then you know, they want to get on that other bank. And, you know, the arguments go on and on and complaining goes on and on. And so uh, when uh, the folks from the Cardinal Center came out to Redlands to actually see the curtain in action and shoot against it, that was one of their main benefits they saw was getting a consistent background for the whole length of their of their installation. And of course, with the ability to recover shot on a mass scale, uh, they got a grant from the state, the EPA, and obviously put up some of their own money. Uh, but in so doing, basically, uh, they've probably paid for their curtain or close to it by now, just in their lead reclamation. Kind of going 
away from the shot curtain and stuff, would you care? Well, to give the listeners kind of a background on this, I was scrolling through Trap Shooter's forum the other day, and I stumbled across a very interesting thread, one that really caught my eye, and turns out the author of it was Mr. Jim here, and it was about a unique idea he had to kind of bring a little bit more money and some popularity back to the sport. So, Jim, would you kind of just give us a little bit of what that idea was and kind of tell us about it? Uh, yeah, Jack, uh, you know, this is this was just a, a topic of conversation because if you've been around trap shooting at all, uh, and, uh, and certainly... Oh, this was all before my time, uh, starting back in 2005. Uh, back in the, let's say, the olden days, the 1970s, 1980s, um, the, there was a lot of money in trap shooting. People were going out there winning cars. They were winning thousands of dollars. Uh, people played the options. Um, there were people who literally could make a living, I guess, winning money at trap shoots. Um and so a lot of the old timers, uh, you know, talk about that and wonder, you know, what happened with all the money in trap shooting. And of course, a lot of that has to do with uh, people not being willing to play the options uh, like they used to. And um, and so the people that are, let's say, making a living out of trap shooting are the guys that really are not only excellent uh shots uh, you know the, the top one percenters uh, but also are running uh, uh seminars on the side i i personally have uh, uh taken a, a leo harrison uh seminar when when leo was still alive um and the, the, the people that are able to do the seminars because they're trap shooting record um you know are ones that that basically can make a living but it's very few people that can do that and of course you have to be able to do that for a lot of years to build up the reputation that you need uh to get people to invest in in your seminars invest in your videos uh, and and rightly so um however we've got as you know tens of thousands of, of young people in trap shooting now and uh, and kids are going to uh, colleges on university scholarships, trap shooting scholarships. Um, yet when they come out of the university, um, whether you're a, a scholarship shooter or just a young shooter, you know, when you hit that 18, 19 year old uh, out of school, uh, 20, 22, um, yeah, you know, people get married, uh, they get a job, they don't have time. Uh, to spend trap shooting they don't have the funds to spend trap shooting and uh, so they they go away from the sport for a while um at least and hopefully they will come back so i've always been a big supporter of of youth trap shooting uh, for that very reason even though i know that uh may not see those uh, may not see those kids uh for another 20 years but uh if they've got that background, then then that's great, and that's why I've always been very supportive of, of the youth the trap shooting. But I've also been in the golf business as well. Used to develop golf courses and had the opportunity to work with some of the top uh, uh, golf architects. Uh, work with um, 
some of the golf course management companies, top golf course management companies, uh, see how that world works and uh, see how the PGA works. And, of course, now there's huge money in, in playing golf. Uh, and that money came from television. But before television, uh, people were making money playing golf uh, even when the purses themselves weren't uh, all that much. And one of the ways they made money is is they ran pro-amps. They still run pro-amps uh, on Wednesday before the tournament. And how people get into the golf tournament is they they earn a PGA card. And uh, they go to uh, special competition schools for that to get their card the first time. But then if they, I think it's 100, if you're in the hot top 125 money winners on the tour, you're able to keep your card as well without having to go back to what they call qualifying school. But also a lot of tournaments run a qualifying tournament on Tuesday, uh, Monday and Tuesday or Tuesday uh, before the tournament. Uh, where you can actually play yourself into the tournament. Uh, so there may be only four spots in the tournament uh, that you can qualify for, but you can show up uh, and basically try to qualify you know, for the major tournament. And so forgetting the TV money, because I don't think trap shooting will ever be a TV sport, quite honestly, but it is a a world in unto itself, much like the PGA was back in, let's say, the 1960s before uh, uh, television got popular and certainly into the 70s before it, it really started uh, getting some TV traction and started getting some big contracts. And how the pros were able to support uh, their participation was uh, they paid an entry fee. Uh, they got uh, money for showing up uh, for the pro-am because the amateurs pay money to get to play around a golf with a professional and have a good time doing it and there's ancillary things in the pro-am uh, like an awards dinner and, and those types of things uh, and sponsorship uh, I played in pro-ams myself and by example uh, Callaway was one of the sponsors uh, you got to go down to the driving range and hit any Callaway clubs you wanted to hit and then uh, pick out one and they, they sent it to you. Uh, so there's uh, the sponsors participate in the pro-ams as well. And so uh, I put out a, a thread that basically said, hey, uh, you run a pro-am uh, during the shoot. And I'm talking about the like the satellite grants that type of thing, or the big state shoots or the Missouri handicap, where you're going to have a lot of people coming anyway. Uh, you run a pro-am event, they get to, they get to shoot with their, uh, with one of the pros and how you get to be a pro is, you know, you qualify for it. Um, so that there's the, let's say 30 to 40, maybe 50 guys have a card, uh, like the PGA and they can show up at a tournament and, and uh, shoot in a 30 as uh, one of the 30 pros in the pro-am um, they're going to make some money off of that pro-am uh, from the fees that the amateurs pay and most of these guys that run the run the clinics like harlan campbell and whatnot i just paid about 400 bucks to take a harlan campbell clinic which i highly recommend to anyone i, I thought he did an excellent excellent job on that uh talking about trap shooting and and some of the uh, geometry and theories uh, in trap shooting. 
Uh, I know Phil Kiner, uh, talked to Phil quite a bit, never taken one of his clinics, but he's another just excellent instructor who's done a lot of work with a lot of people. Um, and they charge about 400 bucks. So, okay, so you pay 400 bucks, you pay, you get to play in, your, in the Pro-Am, you get some tips from the Pro, and uh, basically you get the prestige of being in that Pro-Am tournament. Uh, then the... Um, uh, you also have a qualifier, qualifying shoot for people who want to shoot with those pros or in effect against those pros. So you might end up with basically 30 pros, card carrying pros, and you got 20 people that have paid and, and qualified uh, uh, to shoot in a 50 man tournament, a special tournament shoot. Um, and everybody pays an entry fee for that. And basically, uh, uh, as you win money in winning the winning those tournaments, uh, you can earn your way into a card, or you can lose your card if you don't win enough money. So that's how you could bring money in. And I did the numbers there on trap shooters. That uh, probably the the first place for a professional uh, tournament. Uh, taking uh, taking time uh, you know during the big shoot like at the end of the day when the regular events are over and people could come out and watch probably uh, the winner would pick, take home about 15,000 bucks uh, 10 to 15,000 bucks and it would pay down from there so that would give a lot more interest to the sport because people would actually get to see these 50 people line up uh, next to each other and uh, and shoot against each other uh, and it's after the regular events anyway. Uh, and so it would just be a, a, a good way to uh, raise more internal interest in the sport, uh, make the sport a higher profile for a lot of people. Um, and of course, when you have that notice, when people start watching who's winning and, uh, and going out and watching who's shooting against each other and talking about it and the magazines are writing about it, uh, that attracts the sponsorship money. And there is a lot of sponsorship money in trap shooting. People don't think that there is, but if you look at the last Grand American, just the Grand American itself, there was over $600,000 in sponsorship money uh, to put on that shoot. Um, obviously, tens of thousands more are spent on the satellite grants and the big state shoot, $100,000 more are spent on the satellite grants and the state shoots and the bigger shoots. Um, so there is sponsorship money out there from the manu ammo manufacturers, the gun manufacturers, the accessory people. Um, and it could work. I don't have time to do it myself uh, or the inclination at, at this point in my life. I'm busy doing other things. But it is something that could be done and it would bring uh, more money into trap shooting because the other side of that coin is, is that while the professionals could still go ahead and shoot the uh, for the high overalls and the and the events and the ATA portion of the shoot, you just ask them to give up their chance to win money out of those shoots. So now if you take the really top shooters, the guys that, who often win the handicap or the, the, the option money uh, out of those shoots, uh, that money then filters back down to the, to the regular shooters. And so the guy who's a good local shooter or a good regional shooter who's not out on the tour, let's say, 
uh, going to all the satellite grands as they do now, who isn't chasing the all American points. Um, but who can put up that good score in, in handicap or a uh, good score overall, he actually has a chance to win the money that is now in effect being taken home by, by the guys who are out on that, uh, um, you call it a tour. Uh, it's the, the all American tour. There, there's no, they're not making any direct money off of that type of tour, but the, you know, the guys who are able to go to all the big shoots and chase the all American points, um, obviously have the better chance of winning because they're number one, excellent shooters. And number two, they're at the shoots where they can win the money. I mean, I mean, that's a lot to kind of take in at once, but I mean, (laughs) well, I mean, really, but I mean, I think it's a, it's a super awesome idea. You know, I mean, just kind of applying that from, taking that from golf and, and applying it to try to bring a little bit more of life into the sport, you know? Cause I mean, I mean, like it or not, with the rising costs of everything, we're, you know, kind of getting pinned against the wall. And I feel like, which, I mean, I'm 17 years old. I haven't shot near as long as the other ones, but I mean, I want to still be doing this 40 years down the road. And with the way things are looking, I just don't know where it's going to be in 40 years, you know? And I think something like that would be something really interesting that we should think about to, you know, maybe help it, you know? Well, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of things that, uh, uh, that could be done to make trap shooting, um, should I say a little more viable, uh, and more widespread. Um, yeah, this is kind of was a, a was a conversation generator, and actually generated a fair amount of conversation on trap shooters uh, about it. Uh, people who haven't been out in, shall we say, the professional sports world, or um, or in um, you know national economics, uh, running companies, or being involved in companies that uh, are in big markets, and and while let's say uh, uh trap shooting is not a big market compared to golf trap shooting is a very big market compared to a lot of things and what do you got 30,000 ATA members out there shooting and people shooting every uh every day at uh, clubs uh all around the country uh it's the power of big numbers and um, you know companies like Kohler and uh Craig Off and Parazzi and Browning um you go to the shot show and you see those companies putting a lot of money uh, into marketing their products. So they must be selling a lot of guns to somebody. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, just the idea of it. I mean, still it's crazy, but didn't you try to do something? I read on trap shooters form and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but not necessarily on the same scale, but did you have kind of another venture that was, kind of along the same lines to this in the Las Vegas 1000. Yeah, we did. That was a lot of fun. Uh, my good friend in trap shooting is uh, Gary Bombalicki. Gary's from Ohio originally. I lives here in Southern California, close to where I live. And we were shooting partners, have been shooting partners for several years. And uh, when we were doing a lot of ATA shooting, we were traveling and, and doing ATA shoots together. Gary's uh, uh, dad is a former, uh, is a past president of the Ohio State Trap Shooting Association. So Gary really grew up in the sport. 
um, as a kid. And, you know, those, a lot of the, shall we say, the icons of the sport along the way. Well, we were running uh, shoots at our, our home club and had done very well. In fact, we'd, we took uh, those shoots from um, 19,000 ATA targets the year before we took over to, uh, I think, 124,000 um, ATA targets uh, in 2007. And that earned a Gary uh, the ATA Volunteer of the Year Award. And we flew back to Sparta uh, so Gary could get uh, receive his award in person, uh, which was which was a lot of fun. Well, our shoots had developed a good reputation here in Southern California. And one day I got a call from uh, a gal, Lisa Coder, who was the you know like uh, one of the top management positions in Clark County. Uh, Recreation and Park District. Clark County is the county that Las Vegas is in, and uh, Clark County is where the uh, uh, Clark County Shooting Complex is. Um, beautiful facility, absolutely gorgeous. You ever get to Las Vegas, you really need to, to go out and see that club. And she called me up and she said, uh, I understand that you know how to put on a trap shoot, and uh, we need to get some attention for this facility. Uh, would you be interested in producing a trap shoot for us here at uh, Las Vegas? I called Gary and, and I said, hey, let's uh, let's go over there and see what they got. We went over and, and saw the facility. It's absolutely gorgeous. They gave us a good price on the targets. Um, and we came up with a an innovative concept. I've got a lot of experience in the travel business and hotel uh, marketing and, and whatnot. And so we came up with a, a concept where for a single price, uh, you got your uh, trap shoot, a uh, thousand ATA targets, uh, 200 targets a day for five days, hundred singles, hundred handicap every day, uh, 10 events. Uh, you got your hotel room. Uh, you got storage at the gun club for your shells and your gun uh, and luxury coach transportation back and forth between your hotel uh, and the shooting venue, uh, the, the, the gun club. So basically, if you flew into town with your gun in the case, uh, you could order all the shells that you wanted and what you wanted. And we had them there uh, on site already. Uh, in a storage facility with your name on them and uh, you could drop your gun off at the uh, at the storage facility and um, basically go have a good time in las vegas uh get up the next morning if you could and uh, get on a uh, luxury 50 passenger coach and and ride 30 minutes out to the gun club uh show up at the uh, facility the storage facility pick up your gun, pick up your shells for the next shoot or some practice shells, uh, go out and shoot your event, drop the gun back at the storage facility, go in and have lunch, um, afternoon shoot, same thing, get back on the bus, go back into downtown Los, or into, on the strip and enjoy Las Vegas, all for a single price. And we set that up, uh, did a lot of uh, advertising and promotion on it. 
had shooters from, I think, I think the first year we had shooters from over 30 states show up. Um, expo got the gun club exposure that they wanted. In the meantime, while we were getting ready to produce that shoot, uh, the uh, county actually hired Steve Carmichael, a uh, very famous trap shooter, one of the all-time top trap shooters uh, when he was competing and who had run the Las Vegas Gun Club for several years until basically uh, they built houses all around it and, and he couldn't get the lease uh, anymore. Uh, so eventually the county hired him. So uh, we had him to uh, help put on the shoot. Uh, he couldn't put it on as a county because uh, the county couldn't be in the position to handle the option money and the uh, uh, purse money and do all the financial accounting uh, that would be necessary to actually run a shoot directly. So they were looking for uh, uh, somebody outside who could come in uh, that could do that. And we we were able to put that on for two years. Uh, why we didn't put it on for the third year is another whole story. But uh, uh, it was great fun. It was well-received. Uh, the shooters loved it. Uh, we had uh, uh, some, some good shooters show up uh, for it. Uh, we had great prizes. Uh, if we... Just for that one week shoot, we had over $12,000 in sponsorship money. Every one of our events was sponsored the buckles. So every event had a whole array of uh, high quality buckles from Tilden. In fact, Jim Beasley uh, from Tilden came out and, and shot the shoot. And he had a great time. Um, so we had uh, buckles. We had some good prize money. Uh, I think we had a, it's either $10,000 or $100,000 prize for shooting the 100 straight from the 27. I kind of like making a hole in one in golf, same company that, 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 uh, does those, uh, uh, I think it was a hundred thousand bucks actually come to think of it. Uh, we paid the premium on that. Um, and so it was great fun. Uh, every evening after the shoot, we got back to the hotel. We had a suite there at the hotel, uh, Gary and I did, and, and people were welcome to come up and, and have some refreshments. Uh, so people got to spend a lot of time chatting with each other and, and meeting people from a lot of different States. So it, uh, it was a, it was great fun. And, uh, but it was a lot of work, uh, as, as Nick knows, putting on a shoot, but, uh, my goodness gracious, we had fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like quite the experience. Uh, well, that's, uh, uh, we figured that would be the, you know, Las Vegas was certainly going to be part of the draw, but of course, when people got out and saw the fantastic facility, the, that Las Vegas has for trap shooting and skeet shooting and sporting clays. Now the whole, uh, shooting park, uh, is, uh, really fantastic. And so certainly anybody who's going to Las Vegas or wants to go to a shoot, uh, the, um, state shoot is held there now. And, uh, they usually put on a, now they put on ATA shoots, uh, on a regular basis. So anybody who really wants to have a, a great shooting experience, um, uh, certainly should go out and, and shoot the Las Vegas facility. Kind of sticking with shooting. Um, what, what are some of your shooting accomplishments and, uh, what kind of equipment do you use personally? <laughs> well, um, when I first got into shooting, uh, first gun I bought was a Winchester 101, uh, over and under, uh, choke full and full. 
And I shot that for a few months. And then a friend of mine uh, had a Browning uh, BT-99 Plus, one of the original ones uh, that was like brand new. And I bought that from him, uh, eventually put a release trigger in it. And I shot that for, oh, 10 plus years. Uh, got up to double A, triple A in singles and, and made the made the 27. Uh, we're shooting a lot back in those days uh, and, and chasing yardage and uh, made the 27 in about 14 months after I started shooting. Um, shot a 200, uh, 200 straight with that gun and, and uh, lots of hundreds. Never, I shot the, uh, got to shoot the, uh, at Tucson at a couple of the spring grands and uh, got back to Sparta when Gary got his ATA volunteer of the year award and I got to shoot a couple events there. We didn't have really time uh, to, to shoot more than a couple of days. We're pretty busy with the other businesses that we, we run and uh, had a lot of an enjoyable time doing that. Uh, don't shoot a lot of ATA anymore. My primary competition is, a club called Tri-County Trap Club that shoots at Redlands every month. And I kind of like that. Uh, it's a it's great competition. Uh, before the pandemic hit, uh, we were running about 120 shooters uh, a month. Uh, run on same type of ATA rules, uh, same kind of uh, competition. We shoot 100 singles and 50 handicap and 25 pairs of doubles. And... Basically, you can win buckles and money on every shoot. And then uh, we have annual buckles uh, as well for the classifications. Pretty much all the best shooters in Southern California uh, shoot that club. So the competition is is uh, pretty good. Uh, my last shoot year uh, on my 12 shoots, I uh, shot 97.75. We count nine out of the 12, so my nine uh, were, was a flat 98 average, and that 98 average only put me in, in fifth place in, uh, amongst the single shooters. Uh, so there's some really really pretty good shooters. Uh, I think 99-something was the won the single cha championship. Uh, so it's, it's a great competition. We have great fun there. Uh, you shoot the same squad uh, pretty much uh, every month, and uh, – and get to be friends with a lot of people. And so trap shooting for me now is, let's say, uh, uh, probably 75% uh, social and 25% uh, competition. But uh, I've uh, been fortunate to win a lot of buckles and a lot of trophies. and uh, But really just the experience and getting out and shooting with people and, and experiencing competition. That's what's fun about trap shooting. Yeah, well, Jim, this has been great talking with you. And, you know, we learned a lot about the shot curtain and, you know, talking about your idea. And, you know, I really appreciate you getting on with us, uh, kind of wrapping things up here, I guess. If there's anybody interested in inquiring about a shot curtain or anything like that, do you have a preferred way to contact you to talk about that? Well, they can reach me on Trap Shooters uh, under Jay Brooks. Um, we advertise in uh, Shotgun Sports, and we have an ad in um, Trap and Field. Uh, but uh, and our website is shot-stop.com. 
Now you got to put the hyphen in. Um, and shot-stop.com has a lot of good information about the cost and how it's constructed and the background and that type of thing. But one thing that I really try to point out to clubs is that if you think you might have a problem where you're putting shot into an insensitive area, uh, shot into wetlands or something that drains the wetlands or shot into a neighboring property, if you're proactive and get the curtain up before somebody makes you put the curtain up, it costs about a third to half of what it does if you put it up before they make it. Because as soon as the government gets involved or an attorneys get involved, you're paying legal fees, you're paying more engineering fees, you're paying uh, environmental uh, assessment fees. Uh, you're, you're spending a heck of a lot more money than if you had that curtain up because the shot curtain works two ways. It actually stops the shot. But when people say it, they actually believe it stops the shot. And so if you got a proactive government guy who's looking to shut down gun clubs, and he drives into your parking lot and you've got a curtain, he's saying, well, these guys are obviously managing their lead uh, pretty well. And he gets in his car and goes on to, down the next road to the next club where maybe they're not managing their lead. So being proactive is the, is the easiest way to save money on a shot, uh, shot curtain installation. And listen, I want to thank you guys, both of you, for doing this. Uh, I know podcasting is the up-and-coming thing, and uh, you guys have been great to talk to, and I've appreciated the opportunity. So good to meet you, Jack, and good to meet you, Nick. Yeah, well, it was a pleasure meeting you as well, and I, I hope we can stay in touch. You know, hopefully shot curtains get a little bit more popular, and you may be able to install one out close to us and sometime soon. Look, look forward to it, and you guys keep your head down and shoot well. All right, you too, Jim. Thank you very much. All righty.